I just want to make a point. People were saying the same thing 10 years ago about home ownership when I bought my first home. Mm. I did it without my parents' help and now 42 own three properties. I got there by saving and not spending like my friends did in their 20s. I'm aware of my privilege and a good job, but I've also solely provided for two children, says um, this what wants to be anonymous. It's interesting so, to know where they lived. Um, you know, because I do, I mean, it, 10 years ago, the gaps were larger. You know, you could find in some of the provincial regions in New Zealand houses at a, at a relatively decent price when Auckland was outpriced and Wellington was a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Um, so if you were in Hamilton 10 years ago, you could find good houses, for example. Is that true? Yeah, I think I think what's happened is, um, you know, Everything's Auckland used to be seen as the most unaffordable and most difficult, whereas now it, it is, th- there is a lot of places, you know, you hear about it in Tauranga is even more yep. unaffordable than mm. Auckland now. Yeah, Stands the test of time. A ten out of, we've got a 10 out of 10 uh, for Hotel California. Uh, by the way, uh, panel and show and tell, uh, what's tucked away in, in your closet? We talk about that at 10 to 5. We have a wonderful uh, panel show and tell for you this afternoon. Can't wait for you to hear it. Mum and dad landlords must be regulated. We got into a bit of a theme actually this uh, this afternoon. Mum and dad re- landlords must be regulated, MPs have been told, and that professionalism was needed from property managers. A high powered group have told Parliament's Social Services and Community Select Committee that sanctions are required for badly behaved professional property managers and that the law should catch all property managers, not just the professionals. Salvation Army, the Auckland District Law Society, Renters United and the Auckland Property Investors Association, just some of those sharing this message uh, into the Residential Property Managers Bill. With us is Serena Gibbon from the Auckland Property Investors Association. Serena, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. So we're not talking landlords, we're not talking tenants, we're talking the property manager. What's the key issue here? Um, the key issue here is that more and more New Zealanders are living in rented, rented accommodation. So, um, and the professional property management industry is quite prolific in New Zealand. And it's gone on for so long that it's an industry that's largely unregulated. So we really need to see those managers being held to a a set standard to ensure that the tenants that they are looking after are living in safe housing, are being well looked after, and that they are meeting their obligations to their clients or the landlords. Is it a rogue sector, Serena? I often hear those quite small issues, even as simple as fixing a cupboard, changing a hard-to-reach light bulb. It just doesn't get sorted. That middle layer shielding the landlord means that those little things it takes time to get done. Mm-hmm. Sure, I, I get what you're. I get what you're saying. So, look, I wouldn't call it a rogue industry. I would call it a fairly inconsistent industry. So we have we're in an environment where landlords and tenants are entering into these potentially very long term relationships with a property manager, but not really knowing. You know, there's no standard governing. This, this industry. So so it's a bit like dipping into a bag of licorice all sorts. You're not quite sure what you're getting until you're halfway through the relationship or you're towards the end of the relationship when the problems pop up. There's no standard governing the industry. That to me 
sounds actually quite extraordinary considering the importance, Leone, of yeah. property managers. You'd be all over this as part yeah. of the property council. Yeah, so um, the if, if you look at the on the residential side, there are a lot of really good professional property management companies and, and that do a good job. I think the interesting thing that most people don't realise, it was back in 2008 when the government changed the legislation mm-hmm. and that deregulated property managers. So, um, right. and, and um, Serena will probably agree with me because the industry has been very strong on saying they want regulation. They want, mm-hmm. uh, and there are requirements, um, and a lot of it sits in within, within the Real Estate Institute of New Zealand, but they want minimum standards of education. They want trust funds. They want uh, a whole range of things. So the industry has actually been asking for this for quite some time. Um, the, the, Why hasn't it happened? Well, I, I don't know whether it's quite hit the priority of of whichever government's been in, but it but it you know this is this has been an issue since since twenty two thousand and eight. Um, really, and, Serena? Yeah, I think we're just glad that it's happening now, and let's yeah. just do what we can to make sure it's going through the parliament, going through parliament as quickly as possible. Absolutely. And I think you have got that situation too where, you know, don't forget there, there is a, you know, most landlords and most tenants do the right thing. And you mm-hmm. always end up with anything where there's a small number of landlords, small number of tenants who don't do the right thing. That what well, that's we what tends know. to I mean, get the coverage. It, it appears from what I get, it's it's often it's quite common. Those there's a real delay in getting things fixed because the property manager, whatever for whatever reason, doesn't relay the information on, or you know, information gets caught up in the mix. It seems to be quite initially only. Yeah, look again. I think it's it's easy because you hear those anecdotal stories. You you don't know what's sitting in behind. It. I know most of the professional property management companies, they have a massive team of uh, tradespeople on track. It's, it's all automated, all electronic, you know, it's, so it, it's a bit hard to comment on that, whether sometimes the landlord might not have approved the expenditure to be made. Maybe there's, you know, there's okay. a shortage of tradespeople, who, who knows. But there, a lot of people with good intent, but I think this licensing would be really positive. Stay there, Serena. Uh, Michael? Oh, look, I agree. I mean, it, you know, this is... Um you know, dancing around the realities of people's lives. It's got to be done professionally and it's got to be done so that, um, uh, you know, things are managed quickly. I, I'm, I too agree. I think it's great that it's happening and it's the thing that's um, – it's the sort of missing ingredient to making these relationships, which can be fraught just – Naturally, mm. um, as as frictionless as possible, if right. if we know, and and I do fundamentally agree, it's not just about professionals. I think it also needs to be about everybody that's in the position to be managing. Uh, well, well, be and that's the big question, yeah. isn't it? Is is and Serena, I'm interested to see what you think. But um, obviously, a whole lot of the focus initially has been on professional. Uh, property managers, um, but there, you know, it, it's whether you extend it to everybody, yeah. and what are the unintended consequences of what yeah, that sh- might be. But surely, if you, if as in a transaction, if you are offering uh, something on one side, then you've got, or if you're taking something on one side, you've got to have obligations on the other. So I would have thought it should extend to everybody. Yeah, but that could be everything of you know in any transaction. So it, it's it's sort of saying. Um, Look, I'm not saying whether it should or it shouldn't, but I'm just thinking there could be some quite major okay. ramifications. Well, let's bring Serena back into it. Sure. Um, so on the issue of whether, you know, I guess what Leone is talking about here is on the issue of whether private self-managing landlords should be covered by this particular bill. Our position is, first of all, it's really important not to conflate issues around 
standard that we should come to expect of landlords, whether it be a property manager or a private landlord, versus the regulation in its present form. So what what our position is, the way the bill is, the, the, the regulation that this bill is creating is seeking to create mimics that of how we regulate real estate agents and lawyers and accountants. Okay. These agencies, they are essentially agents. In a landlord-tenant relationship, there isn't that agent presence. So our view is, sure, if, you want to, if we want to hold landlords to a higher standard or, or a set standard that's, um, that isn't already set in law, then the right legislation for it is the right avenue is the Residential Tenancies Act. It's not this particular bill we're talking about. Because to regulate landlords in this vein will be to me the same as saying to a taxpayer, you can't do your own tax return until you, unless you're an accountant, which I think goes against the spirit of being a New Zealander, which is rooted in that, very much in that DIY roll up your sleeve tradition. All right. Well, it'd be interesting to see what uh, comes from it, uh, Serena. But needless to say, uh, there seems to be quite a demand for it. That's um, Serena Gibbon from the Auckland Property Investors Association. Uh, It's um, quite a body across the board calling for regulation in this sector, not only the Property Investors Association, but also Renters United, the Auckland District Law Society, um, Community Law Aotearoa, as well as the Salvation Army. Two one zero one to text. By the way, your feedback coming through as well, um, acknowledging the loss of um, uh, MP Ifesor Collins, uh, feeling heartbroken about Ifesor Collins. Says Nicola and Mangere, he was such a warm, gentle, and intelligent person with an amazing passion for his community. I was proud to support his campaign for Auckland Mayor. His heart is with his family and friends today. I can't believe we won't see his beautiful smile again. Thank you for all your feedback this afternoon on today's panel. We have Michael Moynihan and Leonie Freeman this afternoon. And to this, a group of Tauranga residents have called a proposal by the city's non-elected commissioners shameful. The proposal would see rents and charges for not-for-profit businesses raised by 200 and 40%. This would direct, directly impact services to elderly, crime victims, mental health and addiction services, at-risk youth and other essential services. The response from many of them has been that the rise in costs could sink them. Furthermore, former Tauranga Mayor Greg Brownless called the proposed increases ridiculous and undemocratic. With us is General Manager of Turning Point, a mental health and addiction Recovery Service, Tim Jackson. Kia ora. Kia ora. Give us your snap reaction to this proposal. Well, astonishment, really, um, that they would go down this track of um, hitting so many community organisations and arts and culture organisations so hard with these, you know, really high rent and OPEX increases. A 240% increase. So what would that do to a service like Turning Point? Well, ours is a bit higher, actually. Ours is around 280. Um, it won't sink us, um, but it will cause us to have to either move out of the village to find some other accommodation somewhere else, um, other premises somewhere else, or cut services 
fairly dramatically or find some other sources of funding, which is in these times never very easy to do. Tell us a bit more about Turning Point. How is it set up? Is is it mostly volunteers or or what? So, no, we're a charitable trust. We get funding from both uh, Te Whatu Ora and the Ministry of Social Development. Um, So we have a number of paid staff there, about 20, um, some of them part-time. Um, and then we have, across our services, about 300-odd um, Tangata Whaiora service users who use our services. Um, and we provide a range of vocational support, um, activity and living skills support, peer support services to those clients in the Tauranga area. There's been a bit of a theme this afternoon, hasn't there, Leonie, in terms of uh, that that local governance and the fact that there is that real pressure. But here we have next level pressure yeah. on uh, what many see as real essential services. And and I think that's the challenge. You know, we touched the dis- on the discussion earlier where there's such pressure on local um, governments to, to pay for things. And um, look, I haven't, I'm not familiar with the leases, but I imagine the leases are, you know, every so often um, uh, Tim, it will be reassessed to market rent. So um, they've probably got um, you know, the assessment at, at market rent. But I think the bigger question that comes with this is who pays for it? Because if they don't put the rents up, then basically the Tauranga ratepayers are subsidising. And that's probably the discussion because if Tauranga see Tim and the whole raft of uh, charities that are in these buildings as essential services, they have to accept that their rates will have to go up to pay for, uh, you know, these sorts of things. And um, because I'm sure n- nobody wants to lose what, what Tim is doing and the impact in the other charities. But on the other side, you've got a council who's who's short of money and, um, and perhaps can't afford to subsidise this. So it becomes that bigger question that you touched on earlier, Michael, about what do we want? And are the Tauranga ratepayers prepared to pay extra in their rates to ensure all these essential charitable services are, are funded and that becomes the challenge you there Tim yes I am yes I you want to respond to Leonie well I mean uh, it comes down partly to um, some past blame perhaps on councils which have underinvested in some areas uh, and then this current generation of ratepayers are wearing some of that and then there's also cost overruns on some council projects which um, when perhaps it would have been better to pull the plug earlier or redirect that elsewhere. Um, and obviously they do have some responsibility under the lo- Local Government Act to support community agencies. And, and, okay. Uh, mm. and That's an interesting point. All right, Michael. Uh, look, I think that the, the conversation would be much easier if the ratepayers and taxpayers had complete faith that the money spent by local government and, and central government was being done so entirely responsibly mm. and entirely in the most cost-effective way. Um, I agree with everything you've said, and I also think the people of um, Tauranga should say, actually, no, these services, these businesses, these Mm. charities are far more important than a little bit of extra in our rates. But the fundamental issue is that we're just not getting this conversation right. Mm. We're not having the conversation that says this is what we want and we're prepared to pay for it. And um, government and local government, uh, central government and local government know how to do this effectively and spend it in a way which will give confidence and comfort to all the people that are contributing through their tax. I don't think we pay enough tax in this country, funnily enough. Mm. Tim? 
Yeah, the only thing I would say about that is back in 2020, they did do a strategic plan around the historic village and they did consult ratepayers, perhaps not as widely as, you know, as across the entire region, but certainly consulted them. And overwhelmingly, they came back to say that financial revenue-based targets for the village were not what they wanted. They did want to support the organisations that were there. So there was some consultation. In which, in which case, the leadership in the city should be taking notice of that and, and, and accepting that that's what the uh, statements... That, that, that was the uh, view of the right. public. The trouble is that it still doesn't get away from the, well, where is the money coming from and what is the way in which we spend it? Yeah, and I'm just wondering, Absolutely. Tim, is there any issues with the building in terms of um, heritage or seismic or upgrades or major capital works? Because I'm wondering if... Um, the, the the council are looking at and saying, Shivers, we've got a huge amount of capital expenditure to spend on these buildings and the rent we're getting doesn't even cover, mm. you know, hardly anything Attention. to contribute. So then we're, we're going back out not just for operational costs right. but to the ratepayers on CapEx. So I don't know, yeah. but I'm, you know, I know there's a lot of pressure on, on uh, some of the building owners, particularly who own sort of councils or charities. Yeah. Certainly there have been um, historic problems in that area with buildings that have seismic issues and mm. have had very little maintenance. I mean, we're essentially, yeah. most of our buildings are glorified sheds, some of which leak, right. but we still pay rent for them. Yeah. Tim, uh, look, all the very best to you, and uh, thanks for um, telling the story on the panel. You're welcome. Thanks That's for your time. Tim Jackson, the General Manager of Turning Point, which is a mental health and addiction recovery service uh, there. Uh, rates will go to uh, will go up by two hundred and eighty percent there. Um, yeah, big response by the way uh, <laughs> about Hotel California. <laughs> never had I had a more never have we had in almost five years on the panel a more polarizing song. Wow! Um, oh, except Snoopy's Christmas. Remember you and I. I love yeah, it. You didn't that, like it. That was polarising, but yeah. not like this. Gosh, hi, I'm Ella. I'm 24. I love the song Hotel California, and I would read it an eight out of ten. It's an all-round banger. Mm. Um, another one here. It made me turn the radio off. Thank you. It's the, <laughs> it's the worst of Californian, Californian self-indulgence. It is a solid three out of ten. <laughs> Goodness yeah, gracious. But, yeah. Well, the good news is that they're not listening, so we could say yeah, something really yeah. mean about them at this <laughs> yeah. point. Yeah, you love it and you hate it, Hotel California. Um, the panel, uh, NZ National, well, it's time once again for the panel show and tell, our first of 2024. Uh, we love coming back to this. Basically, it's exactly like a show and tell at school where we look to our wonderful wonderful listeners to tell us about their coolest collectibles. The calibre is always high. For example, last year we had a letter in a New Zealand cupboard from Charles Darwin. So let's see what we've got today. Let's open the cupboard for our show and tell. Evelyn, are you with us? I am. Hello, Evelyn. How are you? Happy 2024. Thank you. And to you too. Now, I understand you... It's part of an extraordinary part of you were Lady Churchill's night nurse for a short time. I was. Yes, Tell us about in, this. <laughs> back in the uh, late, uh, yeah, the early seventies, late sixties, over Christmas, I was asked to go and be Lady Churchill's night nurse because she'd had a fall in the night and they didn't want her 
to do that again without somebody there. So I would sit with her all night and it was over Christmas and she was invited to Paris uh, to her daughter Mary and husband Christopher Soames. He was then the ambassador in Paris. Lady Churchill wouldn't fly so we went on the train with all the bells and whistles and we were met by the tourist people at the other end with the black car and the flag and all the rest and off we went to the ambassador's uh, residence and I had the most amazing experience because I was invited to have Christmas dinner with the family. That was an honour. So Winston would not eat at a table with 13 people and I was the 13th. One so, of the children... So Winston, was, so Winston Churchill would not eat at the table? With 13 people at a table. It, it was his superstition. <laughs> yeah. So one of the children had a large teddy bear which sat as the 14th person. Ah, good idea. That's extraordinary. Yes, and it was the most amazing experience. It really was. Uh, uh, Mrs. Kennedy came to visit at one stage, and so I had to quickly exit the landing or whatever. Anyway, um, the gifts that I was given on the day were a card from Lady Churchill, and I'm looking at it now. It's a card called The Barges on the Seine by Sir Winston, and in it it says... Here we go. With Christmas thoughts and wishes from Lady Clementine Spencer Churchill. And there was a box with two packs of playing cards in it. They're signed on the outside by Sir Winston, and he played with those cards after dinner. Goodness gracious. This is absolutely, I've never this heard. This extraordinary. Yeah. Fantastic. We yeah, have and to, the Evelyn, lady. Evelyn, yeah. we're going to have to have a part two. It's so absolutely. amazing. Yeah. You are going to come back on the panel to a part two of this story. For now, okay. though, uh, Michael Moynihan, Leonie Freeman, thank you very much for your time. We're going to go back to Evelyn next week, uh, who was Lady <laughs> Churchill's <laughs> See you tomorrow. Checkpoint next. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.